Okay. Okay, here we are. Back into it then. How you doing, Marv? You alright, my chum? Back in the mix. Back in the mix. Yeah, I'm doing good. I'm feeling really knackered. Feeling really knackered. knackered. I started a really early morning job. Saving the world. You do know, you, do you work mornings, Marv? I don't, I don't think we've established hear... that. Yeah, I don't know how the, the loads of messages and texts that I give you. A lot of the times where most of the text includes just because I'm really tired. Or I am quite tired. Or, you know, I would do that, but I am tired. But... You get up a quarter to five every morning and oh, work eight hours, saving lives yeah. in the country of everybody, and then come back and then do everything for everybody else, and then have no time for yourself. Saving the world. That's, that's a strong, a very... Oh, sibilance. That is a strong uh, phrase for it, my chum. You you do a good job, and you do it well. I also get up at five o'clock every morning. Well, not every morning, but you know, most mornings in the week. It's entertaining. Anyway, that's a tangent. What are we talking about this week, Marv? And before we go into what we're talking about, it's a bit of a bit of a special episode, isn't it, Marv? Bit of a. I think it is a bit of a special yeah. episode. That is true. Are it, you talking because it's the week? It is now the week that the clocks go back. That's is that what the I'm, special. Yeah, bit? that is important. However, there is another yeah, yeah, yeah. special reason as to why oh. I mentioned in this episode has a special reason for it being special. And that must be very special. There, there's somebody else in this in this FaceTime, and I. He's not usually with us, Marv, is he? He's not usually with us. He's not usually prominent, but as a, as a part of the process. Who is he, Marv? No, not really, but but he's but hey, he's a he's a he's a loving patron. He is. You know, he's been with us from the start. He's listened to every episode. Absolutely. He's we've we've mentioned him a couple of times. We've he's always with us in spirit, but now he's with us in a physical form. Yes. I'd like to welcome. Jack Sharp, Jack Sharp to the podcast. Hey, yeah, there he is. Thanks for having me. I'm, I feel honoured to be the first guest on a uh, the Fifty Ways, and of course, as Merritt, you hype me up there. That is my sort of only accolade, and what I'm known for listening to every episode of the Fifty Ways podcast. So. <laughs> Don't shoot yourself down, mate. Don't shoot yourself down. Beautiful. You're a rock and roll legend, and we would be dead without you. <laughs> but yeah, like dead is another. I want to say thanks for having me. It's kind of nice that you have this format and these discussions because it's the exact type of conversations that I'd hear. Um, walking past the front room in uni where you married you'd be in your onesie <laughs> and Marv you'd be eating your bowl of corn chicken pieces I believe yep. just with nice. like spices yep. nothing else Beautiful. corn pieces and couscous microwave I could only I could only use the microwave at that point in my life as a 25 year old man but yeah he really could that is absolute fact I'm, I'm pleased to be here and to chat some good some bad some ugly albums with you guys so Jack why don't you just give us a kind of brief rundown of your life in music yeah i want to hear that started what were your kind of favorite bands and i don't know what was your what's your journey yeah definitely so um the the first album i owned was really gifted to me by my older cousin as a lot of music is gifted through the family and it was a some 41s all killer no filler from 2001 amazing album. Amazing. amazing and uh yes yeah, sadly it was the only album i kind of owned for a few years on my uh, cd disc player um so i just listened to that at the back of the car on long journeys and things like that um, and yeah, around the sort of age of nine and ten, that's when I started watching music channels um, that would come on like The Box and Scars, MTV Hits, that kind of thing. Um, I started going into Woolworths and buying singles. Remember when you used to buy singles on CD? What a pleasure that singles. was. I, do, yeah. um, I can remember some being like, Hate It or Love It by 50 Cent featuring the game. Absolutely stellar of a record. Um, and The Gorillas, Feel Good Inc. Yeah, as well. 2005. Also so, yeah. sick. And yeah, after that, I really just got into playing guitar around the age of 11 and 12. Um, a lot of my friends at the time as well, we had all listened to sort of indie rock metal music. So that's where I kind of started. And I found as we got older, they would kind of stop playing guitar, but I continued with it. And 
that led me then to study music at sixth form and eventually moved to Bristol and study at BIM with you guys. So that's really where I came from. And, uh, and yeah, I think at uni, that's where I sort of, uh, my taste changed and I like, leaned into genres like post and math rock, um, kind of expanded my musical horizons. It's a lot of the type of music I was making at that time. And yeah, I think after uni, I decided to stay in Bristol because it's a lovely city with an amazing music scene. And uh, yeah, although I now have a very mundane job, I still try and make a lot of music when I'm not working. And yeah, that's kind of it. That's how it's got to go. That's how it's got to go. That's, that's awesome. And again, um, the the way that I knew you and your music taste was all of that post-rock, Dinosaur Junior, that field of, of music. And that's how I always, every time I listen to it, I'm like, just reminds me of you and i think your your playing style is very indicative of that but i like that the fact that you bring you're really good at giving textures to your music i think that's your strong point yeah thanks yeah a lot of influence from sort of the 90s like dinosaur junior and billy corgan style of playing as well so uh yeah that's where i come from and i think as well uni kind of taught me that i didn't want to be the best guitarist that wasn't sort of the end goal, because you sort of meet a lot of people at uni who are virtuosos and really good at owning their craft, and yeah. that really wasn't for me. But um, but yeah, I just made a load of good friends and played a lot of good music, so it was definitely worth it in the end, I think. Yeah, it's great to hear. And um, what's like the projects that you're working on now? I know we've mentioned it in a couple of episodes, but like what's what's happening right now in terms of your yeah. Music? So at the moment, I'm so I make music under at Loops and Landscapes. You can find me on Instagram there. So. I just really do sort of one minute minute experiments and like um, work with, yeah, a load of different things. I'm still, so, sort of still um, owning my craft in terms of like mixing and I'm learning a lot about that, but I'm trying to move away from just doing sort of one minute experiments and onto like a full release. So that'll be my next step to uh, release a group of tracks, which I'm working on at the moment. And they're very sort of from that post rock and also soundtrack inspired. Um, because I love film soundtracks. So, yeah, I'm just flowing with that, really. Awesome. So I, sick. I honestly cannot wait to hear it. I yeah. can't wait to hear it. Yeah, um, so it's really cool, mate. Always good to, yeah, it's always good when your friends release stuff. Um, yeah, I mean... Yeah. Don't know what else to say, really. <laughs> That's a really about, good introduction. Um, That's a really good kind of thing. Yeah, I thought about something from my childhood a lot when um, I was thinking about what to talk on this podcast. And I think... Um, I was trying to think, what was the worst album I ever bought? And uh, basically, yes. it harkened back to a stage in my life when I was between sort of the ages of 11 and 14, and I'd go into sort of Virgin Megastore. Remember that? Great shop. And also a H- <laughs> HMV, and just sort of pick up albums from the sort of indie rock metal section that maybe uh, from artists I'd never listened to, just sort of buy random albums with the pocket money I had. Um, and for £4, mm. I remember picking up Maximum Manson, which was the um, audio book. <laughs> and unauthorized biography of Marilyn Manson. And I have no idea why I bought <laughs> oh it. God. And it definitely was an ordeal listening to it. Um, I think I only got around halfway through, but the main come away was the part where the narrator goes on to dispel the rumors that Marilyn Manson had surgery to remove his bottom rib. <laughs> so he could um, self-pleasure yeah. himself. Yeah, that's the classic. That classic. So, he could, um, so he could look at his shoes from the back. That's definitely. it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, take away from that from what you will listeners but so that's so that would be your worst album you've ever experienced yeah and, and i guess you can't really did you have call did, it an album because it's sort of more of a a biography it's just a narrated sort of audiobook type of deal but it's definitely the worst 
I guess, music that I ever um, spent money on, for sure. But yeah, like like you like you mentioned, we all met at uni. Um, Jack and I lived in second year um, with another with one of your friends, and that was quite good. It was like an hour commute, like walk back to the uni. So again, as I'm so tired now from everything I'm doing, saving the world, you know, a lot of six a.m. wake ups there. Um, and then we all decided to move in together third year, and you know, we were young, we were fun, weren't necessarily dumb though. Well, some of us were a lot young. of fights. Yeah, some of us were young. I was like in my late 60s at that point. Roughly that Golden age, age. yeah. Roughly that age. But, you know, a lot of wrestling. I remember Merritt and myself, for some weird reason, had a weird wrestling phase where you would just suddenly go, do you want to go for it, then, Mark? And then we'd like, (laughs) then then the whole infamy of like you breaking the sofa, which is obviously it was you. Right, okay. You you keep going, oh, no, it wasn't because you did this. And like, Merritt definitely broke the sofa. No, I did not. No, I did not. I think I did. I I remember as well this wrestling stage where it might have been the bed mattress that was put out in the front room, and I remember oh, no. as well Bruno getting involved. But yeah, it wasn't wasn't really for me. I was more of a spectator at the time. But <laughs> very interesting. <laughs> and I mean, talking of household appliances, appliances that Matt had broken, um, his own oh, bed man. a few dozen times, the downstairs toilet, <laughs> countless occasions, um, the lock on my bedroom door, and the oh, no. maybe the two nights I spent outside. <laughs> Um, sleeping on the front room couch because for some reason, Merritt, you'd locked my door with the key on the other side of it. But I, always I by accident. Yeah, well. I don't know how that Honestly. happened. I'm, I'm still very, very, uh, what's the word? Empathetic towards you, yeah. considering the amount of times I did it to myself, and it, it wasn't a fun task because where we were renting, it would usually happen on a Saturday night. And the offices would be shut on a Sunday, which means no one could come back in the flat and let us in our room. Therefore, the amount of times I did it on a Saturday night and slept that sofa knew my profile better than my beds by the end <laughs> by the end of that year, I think, because it beds. Yeah, you got you got to add in the uh, the amount. Um, no, it did because I just I just kept doing it on a Saturday night. I don't know what it was. Some people think Saturday night's all right for fighting. I think it's all right for locking myself out of my room where our estate agent isn't available till the following Monday morning. Therefore, even then, they'd be late and turn up when they said they wouldn't. Cheers, guys. That is the longest, longest, catchiest song title there. Alternative song title you've just done then. I couldn't repeat it. It was very, very good. I'll I'll record a cover of that. I think that would be quite You do a cover of that. I think one of my favorite things about the whole bed, you breaking the bed story is one of them you said, I woke up. And it was just broken. <laughs> True. Absolute fact. True story. And I I have to believe what, you. What night terrors did you have that night? I just that's why I want to know. It must have been pretty intense. It Very. must have been pretty intense. Crazy. But as well, I remember distinctly when we went to view the flat, we saw a property just two doors down, and um it was an absolute just hole, an absolute asshole. Um <laughs> It was. Yeah, I remember that. Marv let Marv trusted us to find the flat. Yeah, it, I'll never forget that. All, all I remember of that is there was a mug on the mantelpiece with orange juice, and someone was like, yeah, that hadn't been moved for about four weeks or something. It wasn't even a mug, and it was a glass. That was the wearing That was thing. a glass, You could see the mold distinctly on the, on the top layer ah, of the orange juice. Ah, there yeah. we go. And I think it as well... It was basically crawling. Yeah, I think as well, one of the flatmates who, were li- who was living there at the time came out like covered in their duvet. Like, you know, when you wrap your duvet around yourself. That's it, and, yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, they were just like, I don't think they even knew that the um, Flavian was happening. But yeah, I'm, I'm glad we didn't pick up that place and instead um, went with the flat. Well, yeah, then we went to the, the viewing of the flat we actually went to and we went to the lounger. So um, you go into our house. To the left was the downstairs toilet. You'd have uh, Bruno and Merritt on the downstairs floor. You got these two, these like flat stairs that curve around, which Jack... I don't know anyone who runs downstairs faster than you who never has tripped or fallen over. It's so quick, so quick. Um, and then you'd have my room, Jack's room, the toilet facing you, our other uh, roommate, Scott's room, and then to the right of the toilet was the lounge. So we went in to view it. We go in. There's tarpaulin with dirt on it and a broken fridge which smelled like ham. No ham. I remember though. that, yeah. And we went, we went we'll take it. It was the tarpaulin I just didn't understand because you say dirt, it was more like soil, and it was a, it was yeah, at least like two foot high, on. yeah, a two foot high, p- yeah, pile of soil with nothing. Yeah, and there were a load of students there at the time, and I think we just felt rude if we were going to ask what, what's this? Why have you got, why have you got mud in your front room? Yeah, Shane? is there something I'm missing out on here? Like, is it part of the vibe in the whole flat? I'm not sure, but. It was the fridge that smelled of ham, I think, which was sort of the worst feature of the place. That, and that sold it. Which I think we kept, yeah. right? The mud went, the mud went, the tarpaulin went, but we were like, we, this, is, this fridge is too dear to us, we have to keep it. <laughs> the fridge has got yeah, to stay. Exactly, it was a peep show. <laughs> it, it was super hands from peep show. No, that stays. It was. It was. Us two playing the game of hide the moldy bread, which I detested <laughs> because I'm so fussy with bread and I look at my pillow and there'd be a big bit of moldy bread, and then I could hear you downstairs going, or the time where you had all your CDs out, laid out, and Jack went, I got a brilliant idea, Merritt. I got a brilliant idea. And um, he uh, he never had the minerals to pull it off, so old Mez had to do it, didn't he? Oh, I totally and, forgot uh, about that. Was the... you, were, you were both drunk, mind. I'd, I'd gone away back home, That's right. and all my skate DVDs and stuff were on the top. And you're both drunk and you decided to do what? We uh, basically opened every single CD and DVD case and switcherooed a lot of them. It wasn't, there wasn't a pattern. That was there the wasn't... thing. We didn't want to make yeah. it obvious. So we didn't want you to open nope. a skate video and find the Red Hot Chili Peppers live and think, oh, well, if that's here, then surely in the Red Hot Chili Peppers live DVD is, is the skate film I'm looking for. So it was definitely not a... Not an order made about continual it. a continual uh, trail of sweets basically that leads yeah, to exactly. yeah that's that that's 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 the point isn't it, it w- we went full crystal maze on your ass um, you did and what was the reception um, you actually were all right with it as I remember you were just kind of like yeah, it was a little ah, disappointing that's fine yeah I mean it, I think it built up a good rapport and relationship between us and I just didn't care I was too busy not getting enough sleep and trying to play tunes and you know Aww. being tired there yeah, is because i'm tired right now Mez, all right? there's one other story i do want to get to and i think it'd be a criminal if we left it in and it is okay james merritt coming back from a hard day's craft wherever he was doing oh, no. to, to come into his bedroom and find the whole bedroom had been cleaned and his washing had been put in the washing <laughs> machine and was on and uh no. yeah if you want to take over from there Mar- <laughs> marvin say i will planet. so 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 Merritt was, by all accounts, I would say a very messy roommate. Yes. I love him dearly, but that's such a bad side of you. Yeah. And especially at that time in your life, like being quite young, what, 2021, 20, and just, you know, being away from home and whatnot. Yeah, it's tough and all that. And it's your own room. But, you know, especially when you throw in the student thing of people not wanting to do their own washing up, then it gets to the point of I'm not going to do any washing up. 
and we go into your room and there'd be I mean, similar to the eerie story you just said before about the first flat, orange juice glasses with mold and all the plates and all the forks. We just all started getting really annoyed. So we had a maintenance man who we'd ring up and he'd come over and sort stuff out. So I remember Scott and I went into your room and we were like, oh my God, it's a shithole. Oh my God. And we were like, right, screw this. Let's just clean it. So we've got all your clothes that some even had were still in the Primark bags that you bought them in, all the hangers, oh, no. put everything out that was dry, checked everything in the wash, cleaned your whole room out, get all the plates, all the things, so everything was just done, like a nice reset button. Um, and we said, right, what we'll do is we'll tell Merritt, the maintenance guy, who was like a 55, 57-year-old version of you, basically, least, yeah. in the future, Mez. Um, we said he needed to come in and paint the ceiling but he couldn't get his ladder there, so he had to clean up. So saying he did it. Bearing in mind, we, we spoke, I think we had one conversation when we were talking about his son and he was doing loads of coke or something. Or yeah, doing loads he of like drugs. lived in London and like did loads of drugs and oh, stuff like that. Like it was that. the 80s then. So, um, different era. <laughs> yeah. There you go, different era, different times. Different drugs for different needs. So we were all upstairs and we heard you come in. And it's like, it's like, hey, what? Hey, hey, hey. like, like a wild animal, <laughs> like just sensing there's a trap somewhere. And you come upstairs, you go, dung, 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 dung. And we knew when you, and the thing with you is like Jack, when he used to run downstairs and you didn't know he would be like next to you. We knew like when you opened the door, it was like, it was like you punched it or kicked it. It was like, so like violent. I mean, you just be stood there. So you were like, what's going on in my room? I don't know what's going on in my room. Just, just been bloody clean. What's all that stuff? And they're like, yeah, yeah, the maintenance guy to come in. You felt really, really bad. You're like, oh my God, oh, I don't understand it. I understand it. So you go all the way back down. I think you must, must have gone to get some food. And then we hear, what? He's done the washing up as well. Because you were so <laughs> flabbergasted that he'd done your clothes washing. All the way back upstairs, boot the door down. I can't believe it, boys. He's, he's, he's even put my clothes in the wash. I don't know what's going on. You like, you were so like, and half annoyed at him, but like half uh, happy that like that had been done. You didn't have to do it. And then for the next half an hour, 40 minutes, we're always trying not to piss ourselves laughing, looking at each other, everything you said being like, <laughs> but you're just there like, boys, I, I just can't get it. I just, I just don't get why you do that. And then eventually we just, it was just like, couldn't hold it's it The most confused I'd ever and, seen you, honestly. Yeah, I was, was so good. I was confused. I was worried that the maintenance man found an excuse. He was like some sort of deviant and he had been eyeing up my, my, underwear for a while or something and i was concerned that he'd finally found an excuse to steal some because let's be honest i i don't exactly take inventory of my clothes so no to put it lightly to put it it very very lightly not to put a too fine point to it yeah i would say i was really worried that this creepy dude had just been like yep oh we'll have some of them oh Yep, they've been warm for a few days. You know what I mean? I was really concerned. That was my thought process. Like some like, garments he's, would have been missing. Or... He's buttering yeah. me up. He's buttering me up for something. But no. What, literally? Yeah, he could have been. But no, I'm, oh. I, I okay, was well... so impressed by the magnitude of that prank. So <laughs> impressed. Like, You had to respect it. So, maintenance guy, wherever you are, whoever you are, wherever you may be, if you do want to have, if you do have a kind of fetish for, for James Merritt's undergarments, briefs, trousers, shoes, socks, hats, beard hair, anything, 
seek Become help. a Patreon. Seek help first. Oh, no, actually, no. Seek help afterwards. But first, go on our Patreon, 50 Ways Podcast. We'll make a specific special tier for you, my friend. And we'll... I don't know. We'll, we'll think of something. Matt, I reckon maybe the Mokiki the Bear onesie. Oh, that, no. that was your ultimate with the uh, onomatopoeic words. Yep. Oh, no. That was That's good. Like or, the Hawaii, or the Hawaiian briefs. I think they're the two oh, no. items of clothing that I would associate you with, and they could go. We'll put, uh, what do you reckon's a fair price for, for those for our tier? 50, yeah, quid? I was going to say 50 quid. 50 quid. Yeah? Yeah, but I'm taking You're all good of the profit on that, by the way. Okay, okay. Well, we're exploiting you for, for our That's, I'm okay yeah. with that. I'm okay with that. Okay. Lovely, lovely. But yeah, like we said, we could go on forever and ever and ever with talking about our uni days and maybe we could, maybe we could, but we're here to talk about albums, we're here to talk about music, we're here to talk about all the good, all the bad, all the ugly, all the lovely stuff. Organized vibrations. Organized vibrations, I like that natural noise that's around us, collected into some sort of, uh, you know, art or product. Yes. I listened to the Crazy Frog album, James Merritt, that you reviewed last week. I'm impressed. I'm impressed that you got through it. Oh, it was a breeze. Honestly, I found it very easy to get along with. Well, that is the problems with it, me then, not the album. Well, the, again, put it this way, like it didn't, it didn't offend me because I think I didn't know anything about it, really, and you gave me so much good context. And the fact that I was like, this is coming... Even if you viewed it as like a posthumous album in the sense that he's only got, you know, the crazy frog himself. He's only got a finite amount of lines or sounds, right? Yeah, as yeah. proven on Acapella right. Sounds, right? So to manage to get like, how, how many tracks was it? 14, 15? Something like that, yeah. To manage to ba- bang out 15 tracks, some of them, are, like most of them that are covers, I'm like, that's pretty insane in itself. You managed to stretch that fart that came from a guy imitating a motorcycle sound that was meant to be a ringtone. It's not even something that was meant to be his forte. And I'm thinking, well, it's kind of cohesive. It stays on brand. And, um, you know, I I was dancing along and jumping around and messing around to Axel F and Popcorn. And I think I just kind of got used to the sounds of, of the old crazy frog. I think he's doing well. I hope he... I hope he does put out a final album. I wonder what he's got. Um, so yeah, Mez, I'm all for it, mate. I'm all for okay. it, mate. I'm putting it on again. But I want to know what you thought about We Are The Champions. Ding-a, ding-a-dang-dong? Ding-a-dang-dong. Ding-a-dang-dong. Tell me your thoughts, boy. So it's it's a complete re-recording. A complete re-recording. It's, it's obviously not to the same structure of the original Queen, Stone Cold, Steve Austin classic. Um, but again, it's just more of the sort of same. However, I was impressed to find that there were a few new things included. So, obviously, with a lot of that album, he does, he does, uh, he, he like hums the melody in his own sort of quirky frog voice. Um, mm. But he didn't reveal that until the very end. And there's a rap verse. From what? From the crazy, not from the no 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 no. It's it's oh, a human mess. voice. Um, I mean, I technically class all Crazy Frog as rap verses because he's not necessarily singing in a lot of these. Uh... He's more of a hype man, I'd say. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah Good yeah, point, yeah. actually. Like Bez. Yeah. Jack, what did you take from Crazy Frog? So, yeah, I thought it'd be only fair in the podcast tradition to um, subject myself to these albums as discussed in last week's Subject. As well. <laughs> yeah, well, definitely in this case. I find like. So, with the Crazy Frog's Crazy Hits. 
um, my main question was just who is it for? Because I think you have sort of Axel F's Beverly Cobb's theme and the popcorn, which are instantly recognisable, I feel like, for all ages and audiences. So I think those tracks work really yeah. well. But um, then the rest of the track listing is bizarre because they're sort of remixes or covers, as you'd say, but I'd use that term loosely because a lot of it sounds like almost the original stems from the tracks themselves um, with these sort yeah. of ablib moments. And a lot of the tracks are late 80s and early 90s dance hits, like Get Ready For This, um, Don't You Want Me, not the Human League, sadly, um, Pump Up The yeah. Jam, and whoop, there it is. And it just feels like... Um, it is just the Crazy Frogs ad-libs on top of these tracks, and I'd feel like I'd much rather listen to the original tracks than um, yeah. like an extra one or two synth lines that Crazy Frogs stuck on there, and then the odd um, ring-ding-ding or bing or what. You did or a better impression. Anything else? So, I'm not doing it again. <laughs> so yeah, like, uh, <laughs> it was funny you mentioned um, the Crazy Frogs genitalia as well last week, because I noticed this is on that album as well, on the front cover. Um, yeah. Unpixelated, sadly. And... Uh, yeah, it's there. just, I just don't understand it. I found as well, looking at the album cover, there's a little thing which mentions it comes with two music videos, two crazy games, a screensaver, wallpaper, and photos, which made me feel like very 2005. Because um, yeah. When, yeah. when you were that age, CD. yeah, the most important things were sort of your wallpaper and screensaver on your family PC. So um, that made me chuckle a bit. Um, you know, while you're downloading um, Linkin Park's Numb on your uh, LimeWire. Yeah. Did you listen to anything else? Yeah, well, I listened. I checked out the other album as well. If you want to discuss that, I think Merritt had to listen to a Lost yeah. Words Motown classic. So I, uh, I did listen to that. Yes. And what were your thoughts? Cool. So is I don't really have anything more to bring to the table other than what Marv said last week. Um, I did not hate "I Want You Back" as much as I thought I would. I was actually okay with it. It was all right. But to me, it's very, um, I think you just, uh, you may have described it this way. It's very throwaway. Very throwaway. It's very like, oh, that exists. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's no there's no real like, I'm definitely going to return to that. It's just a bit of a like, oh, this is kind of fun, I suppose. And like you mentioned last week, it, it quite possibly bruised the gap and opened the door for more pop punk bands to then, unironically or ironically, however you want to look at it, Cover popular pop songs. I've just said cover popular popular songs. By the way, you're a wordsmith. You're a wordsmith. wordsmith. This is why I decided to you know team up with you to do this. Thing. Exactly. Um, my friend Sam Walton, who who's a regular listener, he said that Newfound Glory, I think, had done an album of covers. Um, and again, because I've been super busy and super tired, yeah, and everything. Yeah, yeah, Sorry, yeah, everyone. Yeah, yeah. I haven't actually checked it out, but I'm going to assume that they're not any songs. From like this era, I think they have tried yeah, to accomplish this. I think they did a, a cover of "Kiss Me." I'm probably wrong on this account, but um, yeah, and that kind of works. And again, with the whole covering like pop or in this instance, sort of soul and Motown tracks, it's just I can appreciate where the inspiration comes from with this album, and like their heart was in the right place, and it's sort of going along with that pop goes punk era, and that actually began in 2002 yeah. with that first pop goes punk. Uh, punk album and then uh it didn't actually get followed up until like 2009 i saw um with pop goes punk wow. volume or punk goes pop volume two um and so yeah that's like the same year this album came out but i feel like with the songs on that album the the problem is with modern pop songs is they lend themselves really easily to sort of punk and alt rock 
genre crossovers and covers sort of with the like simple melodies and you know you can just like make the instrument instruments heavier it just works a lot better and i feel like with a lot of the tracks on this album especially like the drums on all night long or the brass on i want you back is sort of in it's like essential to the track itself and i feel like that's lost when you just replace it with a distorted guitar and I feel like that doesn't that it just doesn't work as well, and that's the reasons for it. But I, I can see where you're coming from yeah. when you mentioned um, "Can't Hurry Love." Like that actually works quite well. Um, oh yeah, especially yeah. with the sort of pop punk, um, just like faster drum beats. So, yeah. so yeah, but there was just no charm with it. Yeah, it's kind of kind of devoid of passion in a weird sense, even though it was done with like all sincerity. It just came across as. Just very undynamic and just yeah. lifeless. Mm. You know, that's, lifeless. That's kind of the way I thought about it. The same way as the uh, the Aussie album I did. There's no real depth. There's no real creative change. They've literally just, like we mentioned, like we, sorry, I'll start again. Like we've mentioned before, <laughs> they've just gone and learned the songs. There's no real like, oh, I've got this cool bit in place of this cool bit. I'm going to cough. <laughs> Love that. <clears throat> Good strong cough. Excuse me. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so that's kind of um, that's kind of what I'm thinking. It's not nothing. I'm gonna be led on my deathbed, saying to my my loving partner, like, oh, please, please play this as I get pushed in, as I get carried in. Please play. But and I and I will go as your loving partner. Yeah. I'll be like, <laughs> no, Mez. It has to be Iron Maiden, the Trooper. Oh yeah! It got you into BIM. It got you out of BIM. Yeah. It is you. It's me. And I'd hand you that show. I'd hand you your first ever guitar, and with every ounce of strength in your two remaining fingers that you've got left, one on one hand, one on the other hand, you play that riff, and you play that riff, and you give me one final cough and one final drag on that cigarette until the sweet, sweet release of death. My dying moment, Come ladies on. and gentlemen. If that happens, I will be impressed. Yeah, so again, all very good. Um, we'll probably give ourselves albums to listen to when we've kind of gone through this episode, but we are going to be looking at today albums that follow the band or artist's kind of biggest album. Now, that can be critically, that can be commercially, uh, or it can be both at the same time. Now, how the hell do you follow up your biggest achievement, the thing that people are going to hang their hat on with you and go, what do they sound like? Listen to that album. Listen to that album. It could be a second one. It could be a first one. It could be anything. It could be your latest one. You know, you could have a whole body of work before. You could not have a whole body of work before. Um, I think maybe the question, the, the statement there or the answer is like, depends how big the album is in the respective field of critical or commercial. Um, so maybe that's, again, a blessing or a curse. Um, I picked, my pick comes from an artist that was like, is, is, in the very big best-selling artists of all time category um, and i think the album that i will talk about will definitely show that um, i'm not too sure about you two guys but you know it's like where do you kind of go so like your choices could be that you kind of do the same thing as the album before and kind of let them live in the same kind of universe but then that kind of gives you the risk of like diluting the formula diluting the appeal and the impact of what you kind of did and me personally, what well, me personally, I don't actually like that. I like to see a risk afterwards because you kind of earn the reward to do that, so to speak. Uh, you could do comp something completely different, 
but then you kind of risk alienating new fans, even alienating existing fans. And if you're on a major label and you've got other people working for you, you're kind of letting them down or they're kind of going, yeah, he's a flash in the pan. Yeah, they, you know, you only had that one in you. I told you, told you should have done that. Um, or you kind of relax and either take five, six, seven years to put out something else, craft it really well, or you could just never release anything again and retire. So, you know, Jay-Z did the Black Album and he was like, I'm going to retire. Um, maybe, maybe uh, it, I don't know if commercially that's his biggest selling album, but I would say as a general public, people would go to the Black Album to listen to Jay-Z. I'd say his first record is his critically, most critically acclaimed album. But even he couldn't like stay out of retirement, you know. So he kind of came back with with Kingdom Come, which I believe is one of his weakest pieces of work. Um, it's also got the Nas diss uh, on that merit yeah. for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I definitely go listen to that merit. Let's hear yours. What have you gone for for um, album that follows up a very very good critically or commercially claimed album? <laughs> so I uh, had a lot of options. I struggled to find some sales figures for some of the bands I wanted to talk to. Talk to? Talk about. I mean, I could talk to talk them as to. well. That'd be good. Sim down uh, with a Maiden, coffee. if you're about, boys, come down for a coffee. There's three of us now. There's six of you. In a couple of months, that'll be legal. Come down for a coffee. None of you are silly gooses, all right? <laughs> so, I went the most obvious route I possibly could have, and I only realized this when I was finishing off my notes. The album I picked uh, was Yellow Submarine by the Beatles. Um, Now, I picked this because my love for the Beatles is a really, really, really weird one. There's never any, like, huge growth, and then I won't listen to them for six months, which I'm like with a lot of bands. My love for the Beatles just seems to continuously expand. Um, And I love listening to them. And the the other week before we'd even discussed this, subject i was listening to the white album in full anyway so i was like that kind of goes back that's that's really cool so yes i picked yellow submarine and also because i know marv is a massive beatles nerd and anything he doesn't know about the beatles is not worth knowing and he's even got a little beatles mug right there i'm even drinking out of the beatles mug look at that and do you know what do you know what's funny marv do you know what's quite funny mate so have i kid Oh, is that a mug? Is that a glass in a mug? That's a glass in a mug, kid, yeah. Oh, I bet it's got orange juice in it. A bit of mould. Oh, what have you got oh. there? Captain Planet. I respect that. It's not yeah. the Beatles, but... Yeah, fair enough. Not the Beatles, I'll but... Take, we'll... I'll take Captain Planet. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, as I'm sure you two know, I don't know about our listeners, but Yellow Submarine was recorded for the film. As in, the album was recorded for the film. Now, the song had already appeared... On um, on um, revolver is it is 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 that right? Yes, it already appeared. Revolver, indeed. Track six, I believe. Nerd. Um, and uh, the other song um was had already previously been released as a single. Was all you need is love. So, a stone cold classic. All you need is love. Yellow submarine is is charming, but it's not one of my fondest Beatle moments. Which is. That echoes a lot of people's opinions, as in the song, not the album. We'll get into the meat and bones of the album now. So, it was released 
This confuses me a bit, and I don't know why this is the case. You could probably answer that question, Marv. It was released... I'll back you up, boy. It was released on the 13th of January, 1969, in the US. And in the UK, it was released four days after, on the 17th of January. Some intermission there. Um, That was a massive motorbike going past my house there, but (laughs) it was very apt there, kind of... uh... Stopped after your your thing there. I, I don't know why it was released necessarily on different days, yeah. uh, US or UK. It probably just because of the way the marketing works. More than likely, yeah. Obviously put out on Apple, of course. Um, and a runtime of 39 minutes, 69 seconds. I like mentioning these things, listeners. It gives me a comfort. It gives me a happiness because now I can get into the meat and bones. So Nerd. the album, the album before was obviously an album that needs absolutely no introduction. It is the White Album. It is the White Album. It is the tippy top. Um, Incredible. Absolutely mind-blowing. I adore this album. Very, very good. I adore this. It's it's one of those albums, well, I think this of most Beatles albums anyway, but it's one of those albums that everybody needs to listen to at least once. Um, And if you're a musician, you get an education. Um, it's just, it's just amazing. It's fantastic. Um, so yes, this album, Yellow Submarine, it was a contractual obligation. It was obviously recording some new songs for the film that were written and recorded for that purpose exclusively. And yeah, it's not remembered fondly by a lot of people. And I don't think that is because it's a bad album. In fact, the running theme tends to be it is not at the magnitude of the Beatles' usual recording and releasing standard. Um, Even the band don't see it as a significant release, or they never did. Um, In places on... So it's got two, obviously two sides. Side one is the Beatles, and side two is George Martin's arrangements of orchestral bits and bobs, which include sort of pieces from his previous work with the Beatles, um, which is nice. It is pleasant to listen to. It is all right. You know, you can, you can tell that it is for a film. It's obviously scored. It's not, they're not, to my mind, they are, they are obviously standalone pieces of music, but I don't view them as that. You can hear it's for a film. Recorded before the White Album and released two months after it, um, which so it's obviously going to be overshadowed anyway because the White Album is enormous and it was enormous. Um, it reached the top five in the US and the UK because, of course, it's the Beatles. It doesn't matter what it is; it's going to sell like hotcakes. But yeah, most of the reviews I read, people seem to think it falls short of most of their work. Yes, Yellow Submarine as a single was released in August 1966. It topped the UK album charts for four weeks. Um, and obviously it's also on Revolver, as we've already mentioned. And uh, All You Need Is, All you Need Is Love was also released as a single in July 1967. Um, as I said, I consider it maybe a bit bland in places. It may be a bit of a trim the fat sort of deal. Because obviously, some, as, as we've mentioned, some of the songs were actually written for the film purpose. So I'm going to give you an extract 
and I'm not going to tell you where it's from. I'm just going to give you an extract because I found it and I agree with it. And it reads, of the six tracks by the Beatles on the album's first side, Yellow Submarine and All You Need Is Love are already familiar from their original context as part of Revolver and as a single, respectively. The other four were holdovers from sessions in 1967, Paul McCartney's All Together Now, which is charming. It's uh, I almost put it in that same category as um, Queen's sort of lazing on a Sunday afternoon or Bring Back That Leroy Brown. They're like pub songs. They're like chanty sort of football anthems. Do you know what I mean? Um, you've got Harrison's It's All Too Much and It's Only a Northern Song. And then you've also got John Lennon's Hey Bulldog. Um, yeah, they never found release during the time they were recorded because apparently they weren't good enough. Um, I've got some quotes, which are lovely. Um, I never knew this. I never knew this about Paul. In his own words, I love cartoons. I love the Disney stuff. So, you know, the first thing we heard people were going to do a cartoon. I just thought, yeah, this could be the greatest Disney cartoon ever. I mean, with our music, but they were going to do, they were going more sort of Sergeant Pepper direction. So we said, well, why don't you just take a lot of songs we've already got? I like the thought process because let's be honest, by that point, they already had quite a staggering back catalogue. So plenty to take from. Um, And George said, the animation was tailored to the music and the feelings that were about. We had a bunch of songs that we were working on that hadn't been heard before the film. So Marv, I want to know, I want to know what you think of this album. If, if there's no... Imagine there's no Yellow Submarine film, and I want to hear your opinion on this album. Okay, so viewing it as just the next Beatles album. Um, I do remember getting this, I think when they might have reissued stuff, maybe around 2011, 2010. Um, and I want to say I've listened to the whole thing once, but I only went there as a collector as a purist so i could have these songs on the on the respective albums that they're on rather than the compilation but i quite like it i quite like it um obviously yellow submarine i i really like that song i adore it i think it's really really good it's really simple and and childlike um i know that only a northern song was meant to be on sergeant pepper that was the thing that george harrison did okay. and it's almost like a uh, a diss track um to his record label because he's like i don't want to write another song he, d- he didn't want to write anything more right. around sergeant peppers to be honest with you so he kind of just did only a northern song and it's it's yeah it's kind of like not unlikable but it's a lot to kind of get through same as it's all too much it's quite like an lsd dirge and yeah with with it's all too much when he's like you know you might think the chords are going wrong and he plays a weird chord and it's very on the nose very george harrison um, which reflects the way he was feeling. I mean, he wanted to quit the Beatles after they stopped touring. He was very disinterested. Disinterested? Yeah, disinterested. That's the one. Um, altogether, now you're right. I think it was used in football chants. I think it actually was used in football grounds. Um, I like that it speeds up. I like yeah. that it's pretty funny. I like that. Um, it's, it's it's very Beatles, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It's very yeah, yeah, Beatles yeah. sounding, yeah. And Hey Bulldog, I think, is the best track out of them lot, including Yellow Submarine. I'd say that's the best one. Um, all you need is love is is great. Maybe like a 
not their strongest single they've ever done. But Hey Bulldog, just for the fact of this was Lennon getting back. This is get, him getting back out of his LSD drug period and back into kind of bluesy pentatonic rock. And the riff is really, really good. Um, it's got the, it's got a John Lennon solo, which is like, like gold. Um, and he, he's so good at doing like sounds improvised, but like kind of is structured and it's raw and is somewhat a little bit fiddly and hard to replicate, which Harrison has a different thing. Like you can replicate Harrison, but tonally or things like that is a bit harder. Whereas Lennon, it's like the actual playing style yeah. is quite hard to kind of mimic. Um, but yeah, apart from that, like the orchestral film, film score is like, I just respect it for what it is, but I never sit back and chuck any of them on without knowing what the film is. Um, I think if you just think of the first six tracks, I think it's, I think it's a good album, but maybe in the sense that uh, Stevie Wonder had an uh, album called The Secret Life of Plants, which oh, yeah. came after Songs in the Key of Life. I think it was five years after that. And it was hyped as the next Stevie Wonder album, the next Stevie Wonder album. But it was actually a, a, t- it was a soundtrack to a TV show or a film or documentary, something like that. So maybe in the same vein that that has studio tracks in and out of it, but it also has really weird experimental songs that my mum especially was very disappointed when she got that because she felt like she got, um, what's the word? Like kind of conned out of it. They said it was one thing and it was actually another thing. Um, I think it's good, but I think... You can live without these songs until you've until you've listened to every single album as a whole, and then you want to dig a little bit deeper. Their B sides are glorious, and you can view it maybe as like a B sides kind of album, yeah, um, and like a hybrid soundtrack uh, studio album. But yes, definitely, I don't view it in as I don't view it as in their line of their studio albums. Yeah, it's like a, it's like a it's like a left turn, like a tangent. I can I can mm. understand that, um, Jack. What's, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, definitely um, in the same sort of vein as Martin was saying. And I think these songs do work really well within the context of the film. And like you said, with the it's all too much and like mentioning all the chords are going wrong, it's very childlike and sort of plays into that narrate, that narrative um, or narrative. But yeah, it, it just doesn't seem like a Beatles album as a whole. Um, no, very no. much, like you said, a, a left turn. And the, like you said, the... The best songs on there, I think, as well, are Hey Bulldog, Yellow Submarine, and All You Need Is Love. Um, and you can just sort of disregard the other ones and such, I think. And that's how I feel about it, really. It's not an album by the Beatles that I've listened to a lot, but and I think that's why, maybe just because of its runtime and the fact it doesn't sort of... It doesn't feel like a cohesive thing, like it's been written from start to finish. Like you mentioned, the first... Or the Yellow Submarine and All You Need Is Love, they were written already and pre-released on yeah. other albums so yeah it doesn't yeah. really work as a concluding thing and uh yeah the the side two with the orchestral film score you can just take that for what it is and as well it works really nicely within the context of the film if you've seen that but other than that it's not it's not something i'm always going back to no no i understand that and that's kind of that's kind of what i'm trying to get to because obviously even the band weren't that hyped on it even the band um and I'm I'm ne- I'm never ever going to rag on the Beatles, never. But there are in places a sort of, all right, boys, let's let's get this done. But when you think about it, if you've just released an album like like the self-titled, you you're going to have that sort of attitude about it, aren't you? Because 
I can imagine at the time they were probably really, really proud of the body of work they produced on the White Album. I would be. Like, they must have been. Um, so I can kind of understand and get the context with the sort of, all right, boys, let's let's get through this. Let's get this done. Um, but yeah, it was never intended as a high-profile release. Um and it was issued when the Beatles were still number one. In fact, I, I think we've spoke, we've all spoken about this in turn. Um, it's known these days, as we've named it, the Ed Sheeran effect, where Ed Sheeran released um, an album like last year, year before. I don't think it was Divide, or maybe it was Divide. But the first seven songs were the seven songs off his album in the top ten, and the other three were songs he'd written for other people. That's unobtainable yeah. success. I, I think they probably view it as as we've spoken about before as kind of like it was a moment in time. It was a contractual ob- obligation. It's not terrible. Like not in a million years. I actually really enjoyed listening to it. But when you compare it to the big guns, it it, it doesn't stand up. Not in comparison. That's that's my take anyway. That's what I that's what I think of it. Especially when you have the White Album, which is the longest body of work they'd done to that point to then go to yellow submarine which you could view as their shortest body of work if you look at the first side yeah about 21 minutes um that's a shock because you feel like you're not going to get bang for your buck um they did the magical mystery tour album which to me i i put that in the category of as one of their studio albums um and that's got i think that has strawberry fields on it and i think that has all you need is love on it as well and I view that as, as, as it's, it's like a prototype version of uh, Yellow Submarine, like a shorter EP version. And you think about the breadth of music and diversity of music on the White Album. It goes from like proto heavy metal in like Helter Skelter to Good Night, which is all orchestral and, and lovely and lush. You know, Yellow Submarine's kind of following in that trend. But when you're the Beatles and everything you do touches to gold and you can't do anything wrong, I think their first missteps really were the Magical Mystery Tour film, and it was in black and white when it came out, and a lot of people were like, I'm not too sure about this. Um, and then I guess you could view Let It Be, and, and uh, not necessarily Abbey Road, but Let It Be is maybe like a, a misstep necessarily. But yes, I still wouldn't think Yellow Submarine is their worst record. I think Beatles for Sale would be their weakest record. Um, but yeah, they were just doing what their record company told them. And... I don't think they really cared. I don't think they paid it much mind. They weren't going to make that Yellow Submarine album and go, this has to be the best thing. They were like, let's just do it. We're all good. We've just, we just purged out all these songs. We ain't worrying about it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I agree. I was going to say, I think it's probably a blessing for them that it was released those two months after the white album or the Beatles. Yeah. Um, Because yeah, it can just get lost to time basically. And obviously you've, like I mentioned, you've got the uh, film, which is, kind of the whole production in itself with the orchestral score score as well. But yeah, like the fact it can just get lost and people obviously still remember the standout hits like All You Need Is Love, um, which is a banger. So There you go. Absolutely. Absolutely. I quite agree with you. I quite agree with you. Um, Bit of a task for the old boys now. Favourite song off the White Album? Back in the USSR. That is. Straight in. Well, I'm going to go. I'm going to go track two, dear Prudence. Okay. Well, 
I'm going to go with the one that I'm currently really, really enjoying, which is Your Blues. With the album as well, it's almost like you look at the songs on there and there are so many hits. It's unreal. Like, obviously, yeah. the album itself is four sides, so it's as many hits as you can cram on it. But honestly, like, Blackbird is on there, Bloody, um, Howard Skelter. It's crazy, Revolution 1. Like, they're all like, so many good tracks. Like Anyway, yeah, so overall, I enjoyed it. I didn't find it offensive. It's certainly not to the brow of usual Beatles standards, but it wasn't meant to be. So I think I've taken that album exactly how I'm supposed to, in view of the artist. And I haven't watched the film, but I probably should go and watch it, shouldn't I? I I think it's quite enjoyable. It's quite enjoyable. Going to it with like a childlike mind. Um, it was very, very popular with children, even now. Um I could lend you the DVD if you want. That's a bit of old media. Oh, I'd love that. Um, instead of streaming it, I'll give you the DVD. But yeah, I'd say it's a good watch. Actually, all of their all of their films are a very good watch. Um, very interesting. Quite quite good actors, I would say. Yeah. As a, as a whole. Yeah, just good at everything. Yeah. Good lads. <laughs> good good little lads. They good did lads. a couple of big. Paul, come on, right come round. In. I'll brew you up a coffee, son. We'll have a chat about it. All right. Yes. Do you know, sort of bloke he was. He, he is. Know. He was. He's still here. Um. The sort of bloke he is. If I if 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 I spoke with him, I bet he would. I bet he'd come round, have a coffee, we'd jam for a couple of hours. He'd go, James, you're so much better at writing than I am. How have I got this success and you haven't? And he'd call me a silly goose. I'd I'd let Paul McCartney call me a silly goose. I'd let Paul McCartney call me anything he wanted. Okay, and if uh, you want to vote on what you think Paul McCartney should. Uh, Cool, James Merritt, James Mesboy, Mes Merritt, James Christopher Albert George Meredith Lee Fairweather, California Merritt. I think that's his full proper actual name. Um, then yeah, let us know in the comments, DM us, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all of that stuff. All that you know stuff. what I'm talking about. Fifty Ways Podcast, five O Ways Podcast, Patreon, three pound. You can get a nice big old uncut episode with me truly, you James Merritt truly, and Jack Sharp truly. Truly. It's a Patreon, so he's going to get it too, and he's going to love it. We're all going to love it's it. It's definitely worth it. Jack, it's definitely worth it, see? And we didn't even we didn't even force him to say that. Yeah, that's it. I, I'm not holding okay. anything to his head as a threat. No. And I'm hovering over the, you know, quit his window thing, because he knows that he should <laughs> abide by what we say. And um, now I'm going to force him to say his pick. So, Jack, please take it away. What did you go with? Yeah, so... When when you came to me with this and um, this sort of idea of oh an album after like a very successful critically acclaimed follow up, this was the one I ultimately think of, and I think as well it's kind of been lost to time. Um, but it is the Kings of Leon album come around sundown? Um, so okay. I think yeah. before I get into that album, it's important to talk about what was previous to it, and I think that's where in which the problem lies with this album. But um, I mean, to give a bit of background of the Kings of Leon themselves, um, they formed in 1999, and they, they're brothers. So the three of them, Caleb, Nathan, and Jared Followell, they're brothers, and they're cousins also in the band. He's the guitarist. He's Matthew Followell. And uh, yeah, their first album came out in 2003, Youth, Young, and Manhood, and it's a very bluesy, rock-inspired album, I'd say, um, kind of with their roots coming from sort of Southern America, so you can hear that influence. Um, and yeah, following that, only a year later, they had Aha Shake Heartbreak. 
And uh, I think this album sort of is a bit more nuanced than its writing. It's definitely a softer approach. I don't know if you've heard it, but songs like Milk and Dale Blues, um, they're sort of peppered in along the big indie hits with the hooky choruses like The Bucket um, and Pistol of Fire. So, yeah. And then uh, I think this is sort of where they changed their sound, but we transitioned to 2007's Because of the Times. Um, and we can talk about why their cha- uh, sound changed, and we'll probably get onto that later. But I think the, the standout tracks from it are the singles themselves, Charmer and Encore. Um, sorry, Encore. Um, and they're definitely a bit more full and thicker sounding. Um, and by this point as well, I think they'd created a following for themselves around the world. This is the point where I started listening to them, um, thanks to a website called Play.com, which I don't know if you boys will remember, but it's where you I remember get. Play. I remember Play.com. Exactly. Yeah. And it's where I bought a CD of that um, because of the times it was on offer. So I thought, why not? And at the time, I was listening to a lot of UK and US um, indie acts like Block Party and The Strokes. So um, it made sense to check them out. And that's where I kind of fell in love with them. And I, I still think their second album, Our Shake Heartbreak, that's sort of, the, I think, probably the best thing they've made to date. And it's my favorite. But um, we move on to, of course, Only By The Night, which is their best-selling album. Um, released in September of 2008. And I think um, I was listened to an interview with Zane Lowe from 2008 where Nathan said, this isn't your typical two and a half minute barn burner songs. And I think that's a good reflection on, on what the album is as, as a whole. Um, if we look at just the, the sort of success it did, um, it went 10 times platinum in the UK and Australia, platinum multiple times in many other European countries such as Germany, Belgium, Austria sold up at 2 million copies in the States. Um, it was very well received by critics um, within the US, like Billboard gave it a 70 out of 10 and Entertainment Weekly an 83 out of 10. Um, UK publications equally given it favorable ratings, like The Enemy, 7 out of 10, and Q Magazine, an 8 out of 10. And I think as well, there was a lot of buzz surrounding them at the time with the, the lead single, of course, Sex on Fire, um, which only came out two weeks before the album on September the 5th. Um, and it quickly became UK number one and stayed in the charts for about 42 weeks. Um, and only then it was kind of came out of the track, um, out of the charts because Michael Jackson had died. Um, and there was a lot of resurgence of people buying his music. So that's sort of the reason why they got kicked out of the charts. But, um, a fun fact, I mean, with Sex on Fire itself is the, the chorus or the hook is actually a joke by Caleb. Um, just singing over the chorus, your sex is on fire. And the band actually really liked it. And they were like, oh yeah, no, definitely keep that on there. So uh, that's what, that's why it's there basically. And I mean, Jared later said in an interview that it was the first time the band and the record company had agreed on what track was going to be the single, um, which I thought was quite interesting. Um, so yeah, and again, other notable single singles, um, the follow-up to that one, You Somebody, and again, this stayed in the UK charts for over 40 weeks and um, became just such a massive hit. And yeah, I feel like as well at this time, 2008, you couldn't go anywhere without hearing these songs. Um, and I know, Martin, previously you've talked about the sort of Chelsea Dagger syndrome, um, where maybe you overhear a song, Indeed. overplay it, and people chant it all the time. And I feel like with Sex on Fire, it definitely comes under that category, um, and you hear it shout at weddings and things like that but um but yeah do you guys have any opinions on that album only by the night what are your thoughts i i remember it coming out i think i jumped on the kings of leon train second album 
Four Kicks was when I kind of got into Kings of Leon properly. Um, I really, really liked it. It was like the garage rock revival that I that I kind of missed. Um, and then the Black Keys kind of helped solidify that for me. So I also think that their second record is their best one, maybe um, critically, where they should they where they, they sounded. Um, and I liked because of the times. Um, I thought it was a nice logical next step. And again, they they started touring with U2 and they realized that their first two albums um, didn't really hit out on the stadiums. So they started messing around with stuff in soundcheck, which is why the drums are bigger, the reverb's bigger. Maybe the riffs are simpler, but maybe more impactful. Um, But then I remember Only By The Night coming out and I hated it. I hated Sex On Fire. I still don't like the song very much now. I can appreciate that it's a very well-written pop song. But at the time I was like, they have sold out how rubbish, how bad, so poppy, what are they doing? Now, with 13 years of hindsight, and you look back and it's a band playing real instruments, and it's still rock music, what a silly thing to think of. But obviously then at that time, rock was still very, very prevalent. Um, Yeah, I, I really was not a fan, really was not a fan. And I think I even waited till, it might have even been till Come Around Sundown came out. I was like, right, let me go back and, and listen to these. This ended by the night. And yeah, it's a stellar record. It's, it's brilliant. It's great. Mez, thoughts, please. So in 2008, I was 14 years old and the only band in the world they existed to me were status quo. So <laughs> I remember this album being advertised like mad. I remember the adverts. I remember the constant, constant marketing dirge it was going on and on and on i really like sex on fire and i have never ever had a time where i haven't liked it no i think it is a fantastic song i think it's really really well constructed and yeah catchy hook a really nice sort of um build up to the choruses i'm i'm really into it i think it's really really cool Completely not my band. Completely not my band. But really, really cool. Now, usually with this sort of song, um, I can't stand it if it's been overplayed because I've I've heard it. I know what it sounds like now. You know, I'm going to go listen to something else. Um, and that's actually the reason why I can't stand Rolling in the Deep because I was working at a garage for an apprenticeship. Not an apprenticeship, sorry, for work experience at the time. And every other song was either Paparazzi by Lady Gaga or Rolling in the Deep by Adele. Paparazzi, I'm okay with now. Rolling in the Deep, I still can't come to grips with. But The scars are too deep. They are, mate. They are. I wake up screaming. Every time I hear the ding, 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 I'm like, no. It's almost like you want to push your fingers into your... Nice. Nice little in-joke there. An in joke, an in joke that only Jack will get, and we're going to be annoying and not explain. Nope. No, go on. I'm happy to do that. There's a picture that one of my relatives put up on Facebook of me with a cheekiest grin on my face, being a ten year old, wearing a Slipknot shirt. Um, I'm not ashamed of that. But um, no, it's just, it's just. We've all got past. It's the juxtaposition because I it remember is. sending it to the group Facebook chat. Uh, other social media outlets are available. Are available. Um, yeah. And just, just with the, I push my fingers into my... Yeah, great. It's the, it's the um, duality no. of it all. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, he's done you he's again done then. Me. He's, he's, he's sewed me up like a kipper there, kid. 
But no, I was I the songs I've heard from this album really impressed with them. I think I think they're great. I think they're really well written. I really want to talk about the other songs that you're going to get to, so I'm going to shut up now and let you carry on, Mr. Sharp. Obviously following this album, the band were doing sort of the biggest tours they'd ever done. Um they did a twenty nine date Canadian US tour um for the album's release and then a twelve date UK tour which included areas oh sorry arenas like O2 and the Manchester Evening News. Um and that year as well they headlined Reading and Leeds Festival um two thousand nine. So it was clearly a, a massive success to them. And like you said, Martin, with um, the fact that now their songs were sounding bigger than ever, they could actually bring them to these stages and these arenas and it would work in that context. Obviously, moving on now to Come Around Sundown, which was the album I listened to or went back to. Um, and it came out in October of 2010. Um, and I think it is a, it's a good album, or at least an okay one. It just carries a lot of filler, I feel. Um, and... I think critically and commercially, commercially, sorry, it sits too much in the shadow of Only by the Night. Um, but I mean, just looking at the sort of reviews and success it had critically, um, it still had good reviews. So the Rolling Stone um, and also Billboard put it in sort of the 80s out of 100. Um, commercially, it only sold sort of two and a half million records worldwide from what I could look at. So that's a lot less than um, Only by the Night. And um, yeah, and as opposed to Only by the Night, a lot of critics hated the album and said it was a bit too pandering and gloomy. Um, so, I mean, talking about the songs itself, I think it would be a bit too reductive to sort of go through the album and discuss each track individually, as there aren't sort of many deep cuts and every track isn't really a notable one. Um, and I know that sounds like a very negative statement, but it really isn't. I do like the majority of it. Um, but I think the one that is most important or the one we should touch on first would be the second track, which is radioactive. Um, and yeah. I think with this track itself, it just, it's trying too heavily to replicate the success of sex on fire. The main riff has got sort of a lot of the same characteristics. It's played on the low E string of the guitar. Um, it sort of opens the track like sex on fire, um, opens with a riff and, um, there's sort of the chorus is quite sparse in its lyrics and, um, themes and yeah it's it's also interesting as well because if you listen to the album in full and um, the deluxe version and um, there's a version of the track where the west uh, angeles mass choir join it so that as far as i can tell they're sort of like a gospel choir and um, they sing a lot on the chorus and i just feel like it brings more energy to the track and i almost feel like they should have released this version of the song um because it's just yeah i feel like it brings a bigger statement but um but yeah had, had you guys listened to this track what are your thoughts on it so, I loved it again. Um, I think I have found the formula to keep me happy, uh, and the Kings Kings of Leon are—they're uh, writing it. I really enjoyed it. I really, I really enjoyed how sort of positive it is. Um, there's like a—I um, think it was this one. Yeah, it definitely was. There's like an arpeggiating high, um, yeah, high triad. Um, love that. Love that. Really cool. And um, yeah, I, I actually do agree with you, though. I think if if they included the uh, West Angeles Mass Choir in in that, make that the release, I think that probably would have lent it more energy. Uh, I've not listened to that version, but just from what you've said, I quite agree with you. It's quite funny as well, because um, despite the fact you've... Sorry. Despite the fact the uh, points you've made in relation to that track with Sex on Fire, 
I didn't really put it in the same category, to be honest with you. I, I didn't put it in there. I just, I just really enjoyed it. I think it's great. I think the gospel choir is like such a good addition to their sound. It really works. I think it, and like with Back Down South, which I don't know if it was the second single, but it was a big single um, that had that charm. And it was like, it was nice to hear them actually sound like where they came from, which ironically I've just now heard is that's one of the lyrics on Radio yeah, Radio, isn't it? It's like, <laughs> But I think that's what's good. I think that's the good thing about the the album is that it does sound like them, where their roots are. It's not a back to the roots album. But I just think they kind of went well. We can't go anywhere further with this this album, and I think they chose the right place to go. Um, I used I this used to be my kind of album to walk to work and back quite a lot. So I really spent a lot of time investing in it. Um, Mary, I really liked. It has that '50s '60s um, style of instrumentation chord progression i think that's really really strong um but then you kind of get to stuff like me amigo and pickup truck like maybe from like track 10 to track 13 like the last kind of uh four tracks yeah i mean you don't have to have them definitely more most the most bloated filler that they've yeah. had on a record so far um maybe as a cohesive album this is the weakest one they put out at that point yeah, I definitely. Uh, maybe think... I maybe argue that the first album then is second in line. Yeah, I feel like you're definitely right there, and exactly that's what I was going to come on to with um, the sort of tracks in the middle of the album, like you mentioned, Mary and Back Down South. Um, they've clearly got those country influence, and then I think they're trying to replicate the sound from Aha Shake Heartbreak, and they're trying to bring some of that sort of softer side back um, in into the album, and I think. That's why I feel like they're trying to have it both ways with this one, because they're still this album, because they're trying to replicate only by the night and that success with the tracks like You Somebody and Sex on Fire. So these big um, indie sort of anthems. I think if you listen to Pyro as well on that album, um, it's got very on cool vibes. If you're familiar with um, that track, and uh, yeah, I feel like they're just trying to replicate that success and as well add sort of their own influences i don't know maybe if they felt like only they weren't happy with sort of the success in a way that only by the night brought them because maybe they felt like that they were diluting their sound um and it's quite interesting as well when you like look at the stories from these tracks so back down south opens with a pedal steel guitar and it's actually the first thing that um matthew followill like played when he bought just the pedal steel guitar um, that opening riff and stuff like that is is definitely nice and it and it works well like you mentioned mine with sort of the the country influences and trying to sound like where they came from it it works really well but again the album sort of brought down by the last few tracks like you mentioned me amigos and and no money pickup truck and they're just sort of mediocre sort of indie songs and i feel like um I, the album could easily sort of just lived without those songs there um and yeah, but yeah, that's sort of, that's sort of my thoughts on the album in its entirety. Um, I think I'll, I'll be one to sort of um, definitely hype up the album. Well, not hype it up, but defend it, I think is a good way of putting it. Um, I think Kings of Leon have gone on and sort of made maybe worse albums since even. So um, I think it's lost to time. And I that is the problem with sort of 2008 to 2010. So a lot of indie bands were dying. Um I'm looking at a quote now from Johnny Borrell, who was the lead singer of Razorlight. 
Um, and he said, <laughs> Sex on Fire is basically the apex, death, and afterlife of landfill indie all in one go. Um, and I don't know if you know the term landfill indie, but it's basically attributed to that sort of era and those sort of UK bands like Kaiser Chiefs, um, Razor Light, just sort of the way indie went and died. So, yeah, yeah. but again, I applaud the Kings of Leon for trying something new on Come Around Sundown or at least going back to some of their older roots. And uh, yeah, it's definitely an album just worth checking out, especially if you like that kind of music. I couldn't agree with you more. I think... Um... Their later albums, they kind of got stuck in a rut musically, and it was almost like they they then became a parody of what indie rock was, and they never sounded like that. Definitely. They were the alternative to that indie scene, and now they're doing all these, what I would call, like what I was saying with Merit about the Motown Classics album, like, imagine what you think indie is. Kind of funky drumming, articulate drumming with, like, little fast, pickety kind of guitars. Like, that is the Kings of Leon sound that they've kind of gone for the last kind of three albums. But what I like about Come Round Sundown, um, yeah, it's a completely different sounding record. But then it's what they've done is they've they've put their their foot back into the album before it. So they've gone, don't worry, like this is these songs will please these people. Um, so you're not getting too much of a difference. They kind of gone in the middle, haven't they? They've done something different, but they've also done some stuff which is the same. So they're falling into that kind of middle ground there where they haven't ditched everyone completely. But I do agree. I think it's none of their other albums sound like this. Uh, I would put it higher than uh, maybe something like Walls. Uh, Mechanical Ball is pretty good as well. I think that's got like Beautiful War and it's got pretty good solid songs on there. Um, Again, you're, you're falling into indie rock territory that they didn't release that I don't want them to sound like for me. But I definitely think Come Around Sundown is interesting. It's it's an attractive album, and I think the singles are great. And it's just a shame, for I guess, for that album that it, it, it just can It had to die with Only By The Night. It had to get obscured. But definitely, I think if someone, listened, if someone likes Kings of Leon now and had never heard Come Around Sundown, they'd be pleasantly surprised, and it'd be like a breath of fresh air. And it's like, I want them to go back to that sound. This album's more than fine. I think it's yeah. pretty darn good. I think you're right there. And as well, like looking at the releases after Come Around Sundown, like Mechanical Bull, and you've got tracks like Don't Matter, which I didn't even realize. That's them trying to sound like Molly's Chambers and going back to their sort of original sound um, Yeah, completely. But uh, yeah, I think it's definitely an album worth listening to. E- even if you just like indie music in general, um, I'd recommend it. And like I said, it's sort of was the death of indie sort of at that point. And as well, the Kings of Leon weren't in a good place themselves. So in 2011, um, they had to abandon the gig after Caleb Follower was basically drunk and stormed off stage. Um, he basically said to the crowd, oh, I'm going to vomit um, and grab a beer and sort of left and didn't come back for the rest of the gig. So Why? I think, yeah. And I think as well, the band, they've always been plagued with sort of that problem. Well, not even a problem. They just enjoy their drink and they like to party basically and i think at that moment sort of after the success of only by the night i think it was time that they crashed and i think they did actually they went on a six month hiatus after that um before coming back but yeah any more thoughts on the album in general the kings of leon from either of you which one should i listen to what album yeah which one 
Yeah, uh, I'd, I'd definitely, I'd start, I think you'd enjoy their first one, Merit, a lot, because it is basically just a blues rock album. Um, it's got okay. thick riffs and it hits hard, so I'd definitely start with that one, and then after Aha Shake Heartbreak, which, again, I still think is their best album, so definitely listen to the first two, and I think that might give you a different side to what you've heard on Only By The Night and Come Around Sundown that um, we've discussed. Yeah, before I forget, actually, um, we got a new patron, didn't we, Merit? Oh, yes. Yes, we, we did. did. We did. We did. I want to family. shout him out because I want to shout him out. I don't know if Jack knows this, but um, I originally was going to do um, a guest spot with this person. And we were going to talk about the episode of classic albums that we just can't get into and we can't like no matter how hard we try. And it was all kind of sorted out. I gave him a, a general date. I was like, maybe around this time. And so I'd, we'd sat down at the weekend, we'd sort of stuff with Jack, organized everything, how it was going to go. And I think on the Monday, I got a message from him and he went, all good for, for the episode coming up? And I was like, oh no, oh no. And he'd done all this work. So I was like, really sorry, buddy. Can we do next week? So O'Sheen, O'Grady, and we met a BIM, absolute legend. Jinx Love that from both of you. Exactly, exactly. Um, he will be on the podcast next week discussing... Uh, classic albums that you just you just for some reason you just can't get it's, it's just something about it you just can't connect with you just don't like him but yes thanks very much O'Sheen. thanks very much legend absolute legend you're a legend of Patreon. rock and roll your videos are amazing come see me at bristol we'll have a coffee i am not gonna call you a silly goose <laughs> he'll call you a silly goose <laughs> if anything yeah exactly if anything we need to make a silly goose and not a silly goose list and see who's on it, but the fact that Merritt is on the Silly Goose list himself, oh yeah, it's great. You can't go. You Please can't go make around. that a T-shirt. Yeah, Silly Goose list. You can't <laughs> go around calling people Silly Gooses without being a Silly Goose yourself. I'm, I think that's applicable to all of life, you know. Pure I'm philosophy. Keep that with me. Pure, Pure philosophy. Pure philosophy. Anyways, Three yeah. pounds a month, and I'm laying my heart on the line. <laughs> yeah oh god have that that. so have that up yeah whatever um so i went for i looked at the biggest selling artists of all time i wanted to go for whoever's hit the top top of most of the popper most you know they've hit this massive accolade that not a lot of people get um and i found eminem you know not the crazy frog with that not crazy frog no i mean (laughs) close close you know the frog is untouchable and unbeatable in his own regard. But, you know, Eminem, yeah, he's all right compared to Crazy Frog. But, you know, Eminem, most successful rapper, no question. No question. Generally the first authentic white rapper really to the mainstream public. Um, just going to list off some of his accolades for you. So estimated total sales of 200 million. He's the biggest selling artist of the 2000s. Jesus. Five best rap album awards over 11 years. The first rapper to win an Academy Award for 8 Mile. The two biggest opening week album sales of any rapper in history. So for the Eminem show, he did 1.31 million. And for Marshall Mavis LP, he did 1.76 million in a week, first week. Um, only artists that have 10 consecutive number one albums on Billboard 200 out of any genre. Um, so big deal, big deal. And I'm going to look at Encore, which was released November 12, 2004. Um, which comes after the Eminem show. So if we look at his life, 
around this time. Obviously, he did Infinite in 1996, which is like an underground kind of uh, hip-hop album, which he was kind of still finding his feet. And then he was going to quit music. Um, he had a daughter at this time. He had a very bad relationship with his um, wife, I believe, at the time, like his girlfriend, um, who he's definitely talked about killing and whatnot on subsequent albums since. Um, I think he was going to kill himself, and he's going to give up rap. But then he, I think he went to... Uh, California or LA met up with Dr. Dre rest is history so he gets very very successful on his second record and then Marshall Mellors LP and Eminem show so let's just kind of look around of his life at this point so he's trying to make the follow-up to a very 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 big album at the height of his fame so he's released the Slim Shady LP then the Marshall Mellors LP then stars in 8 Mile and releases the Eminem show all of which propelled him into superstardom which no rapper had ever experienced at this point Becoming a threat to the younger audience of kids who basically bleached their hair and I definitely tried to master the verses of the real Slim Shady without the CD on. That was definitely a thing that people did around that time. That was kind of a like an icebreaker. You could if you could rap that, you're cool. You are cool, Marv. I yeah. must be cool oh, then. That's cool. Exactly, exactly. So he's got a lawsuit from his mum. He got arrested for a pistol whipping a bouncer for kissing his wife and he was on probation. All of the extracurricular things that come with famous success, alcohol, drugs, money, sex, women, everything you want. All whilst raising a daughter with his ex-wife that he wrote songs about killing her. And it's amazing that he made one critical and commercial album, let alone three, um, which is just insane. The Eminem show being the biggest. Oh, and he produced the posthumous Tupac album around that time as well. So it's like, how much the work ethic of this guy, you know, that he had, that either he had to be put into or wanted to do, and he realized that, like, okay, I'm at my peak. Let's just maintain. Let's keep going. It's just horrifying. It's so much stuff. Um, he was that famous and influential to the world that he was in. Um, and we look at Encore now. The, there was a leaked track called We As Americans which was um, bashing George Bush at that time. He had a lyric that was basically, um, he'd rather see George Bush dead. That was what he said, that the Secret Service investigated him, went over to his house and was like, we're treating this as a threat. And he's wow, there like, crazy. I'm just a rapper, like, I'm just messing with stuff. But like, that was how serious people took Eminem and that was how much of an impact he had in the world around him. That like, he said stuff like that and people were like, oh my, like, you are going to do that and freak out. So, um, I mean, the cracks had to show somewhere. So, Encore, um, to me, it, it's it got so many facets to it. You look at the thing I just listed off in terms of what he's done around this point, that maybe he's overworked and then you've got drugs and then you've got arrests and then you've got lawsuits that, you know, you could view it more like his drug album. But I just think that, trying to follow up something as big as that is just very impossible so um it got rushed released because some of the songs got leaked to the internet and i think a downfall for this album is that he had to re he had to write songs very very quickly to put them back on so there's some songs that were written in like half an hour and there's no time to edit there you've got pressures there and you've just got to go and record it let's make anything we can um you can't necessarily sit and and think over them so whatever you're saying you are putting on there. Um, now let's talk about kind of like his, his addiction to pills, which really was come to the forefront on encore. It was kind of a thing um, that he, he found a magic balance. Um, 
obviously there was that thing of him popping Molly with Dr. Dre in the studio and they came up with my name is and it took about half an hour, an hour to kind of make. Amazing, great. So when he was doing eight mile, the working days were about 16 hours. Now he said he had six hours of downtime. Two of those hours were of the six hours were one hour driving to and from set. So he had four hours to sleep. And someone gave him some Ambien. Because when you're tired, it kind of perks you up, I guess. So this was this is what he says started off this kind of pill addiction, which, as we know, he uh, got onto like methadone um, and got up to about 60 pills a day. And that's just, I think, with Ambien. And then about 30 Vicodins too, which is a powerful painkiller. And then he was doing methadone. And I think he overdosed. He said himself he was about two hours away from death was having organ failure um, and he managed to stay clean. He said, he said after I think he detoxed, he was up for three weeks straight, not even feeling tired. He said three weeks straight, I was just awake. The fact that like all of this was happening at the height of his fame kind of helped to like funnel the lackluster reception towards this because a lot of these things we only know after the fact. So this album really kind of got critically panned. It was viewed as kind of his worst work at that time. Um, Eminem doesn't really like it that much. He thinks this and relapse are his two weakest records um and i definitely don't disagree with him yeah um this whole album is definitely a good exploration into like eminem's brain at the time um you could say that a lot of the tracks are like lackluster and are just bloated and don't really say much but if you think about eminem's kind of brain fog and on a lot of those pills and that he maybe doesn't even know what he was doing or could even maybe recount some of those days you are actually getting a very true to life um, version of what he was thinking even if it was just nothing in particular or he wants to do a million accents in one song or <laughs> do a song that i think the hook is noises of him farting and burping and in a british accent goes kaka kaka poo poo from a guy who sold like 20 million albums at that point with the two records and on his biggest, like everyone's looking into it and go, what's he going to do next? And he's gone, caca, caca, poo poo. Like that's bold. <laughs> that it's is bold. Yeah. It's funny with a lot of songs on this album. So at this time was the time where I was basically watching a lot of music channels. And I remember uh, at this stage, so past and Marshall Mathers LP and stuff like that. I remember these songs actually coming out at the time, like, like toy soldiers, um, and Mockingbird. And when you think about those songs alone, they're like very heavy hitting. They like touch on a lot of important themes about him and his relationship with his daughter. And then when you mix it in with things like Just Lose It, <laughs> which I think you just mentioned, and then as well, like Ass Like That, it's just... So it's like two different mindsets, basically. And I mean, the album itself, like looking at the track listing, it's 20 tracks long, so you're going to have a lot of variety. But yeah, it's just such a weird amalgamation of thoughts and feelings yeah it's it's definitely like in extremes of his silliness and his seriousness you get the extremes here it's just the fact that you kind of get a lot of stuff in the middle of those and unfortunately because they don't do either silliness or seriousness they kind of just fall by the wayside so i'd argue that this is the most fillery album and again we're getting this theme here quite a lot aren't we a lot of the album all the albums we've talked about have a lot of filler um i think the most silly and crass is my first single like i said the chorus is just farts and burps and saying poo poo caca the music's not really that memorable 
It has that aftermath sound, which like dominated the airways at that point. Um, but it's still just a boring instrumental. I think that, oh, and it's five minutes long as well. So to have five minutes long of just that is, I don't know. I don't know. But Rain Man, again, another quickly written song. Um, is very hilarious, very unabashed. Again, shows his funny side. And the fact that the luxury just kind of sit and edit the lyrics and, and second guess can't be done kind of helps for the song to live. You know, you could view it definitely as like what the real Slim Shade in My Name Is could it be as like a first draft. It has that feeling of like a first draft of those songs. Yet we're just hearing it just like some of it makes no sense. And it's just very like it just needs a bit of craft to it. But I actually quite like that it's just as it is because it reflects how Eminem was feeling at that time. You know, very much very much just spur of the moment that had to be done show me another artist in this biggest selling album of all time club um that is like this unhinged and willing to put songs like the three i've just mentioned my first single rain man big weenie even just lose it onto an album they know would sell millions and be dissected so this is the 250 million plus club the beatles elvis michael jackson elton john madonna led zeppelin rihanna Pink Floyd, and then Eminem's bracket, which is two hundred to two hundred forty-nine million. Taylor Swift, Mariah Carey, Queen, Eagles, Whitney Houston, Celine Dion, AC/DC, Rolling Stones. Now, out of all of those artists, I don't think any of them have done anything as raw and unhinged at their critical commercial peak as Eminem has done. Whether he was aware of it or not, if he was too clouded, but he must have had some sort of train of thought. I think to be that raw and unhinged and just like unapologetic, like this is me. I'm just going to be completely silly wherever I want to do what I want because I know it will sell, but this is me. The way he describes and paints a picture compared to other, other artists and things is just, it, as you said, there's no better word for it. It's incredibly raw. It's incredibly salt in the wound, if you will. It's very, very, you're going to feel this. You know what I mean? The only artist I'd compare him to would be Lennon, sort of sixty nine seventy. As as we spoke about singing Cold Turkey with a band he's not played with before, whilst he's super sick from heroin withdrawal, I feel like Lennon was just as real with his lyrics. Yeah, I think just the point you were saying about the fact that it is so pure and it is un- unadulterated and just Eminem sort of at his rawest. Um, in terms of how he's feeling at the time, that that clearly comes out, and it does with stuff like like Toy Soldiers and the sort of stories he's telling um, yeah. about how he's feeling at the time. It's all there basically on paper, and it's take it or leave it. And at this point, like we said, with the amount of success that he's he had, um, why not create an album like that? And you know, if it gets panned or if it gets loved, then just take it or leave it and move on. But you put exactly. you put it on paper, so exactly and. You know, you've got two albums. I think I said three, but three including, I'd say, Encore because it sold really well. But two albums that are like your biggest commercial and critical peaks. Like, just surely that's enough for the average listener. Like, don't be so harsh on the guy. Like, he's done, you know, a really successful film and then two of these amazing albums. It's like, no, some bands and artists that you adore and love and respect never even get to that point yet you give them so much less slack. But it's because he's in that upper echelon, which then gives you up to criticism. Because people go, well, I don't like him. 
He don't deserve that. He don't deserve that. Oh, that's not very good. Oh, he's doing fart and and burpee sounds. That's terrible. What's the point? But it's like, no. Like, you don't realize, like, to have, to sell that much, that isn't just a marketing and promotion thing. You look at all these albums and they are of amazing quality. They have something there which you just cannot buy or promote or have exposure they're the reason why they are in that place no matter how you feel about the person's work i think the best moments are never enough because nate dogs on it and every anything that nate dogs on is great oh, like toy soldiers i think ass like that is good and i think mockingbird is great um the instrumental to spend more time spend some time sorry um it's got nice dynamics and a good emotional tension like we get in like toy soldiers but the, the 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 lyrics are just wasted. It's just about women that have wronged Eminem, Obi Trice, and Fifty Cent, and it's all just sexual objectification and very of that time, which would not float now. But the instrumental was great. I wish that the instrumentals here were across all of the album. That would have pushed up majorly because I think the big point is that the instrumentals are just a bit cookie cutter and unmemorable. Um. Just Lose It seems to get a lot of hate. I read, I read one review and the guy was like, this is the worst track off of Encore. And to me, I'm like, I think it's one of the best. I think yeah. this is one of his best singles. It's got a weak chorus, I think. It's just a quite blur chorus, but I think the verses themselves are kind of stand out. I wouldn't. I definitely wouldn't call it the worst song on the album. Neither, neither would I. That's, just Lose It is... That's my jam. Shut up. If you want to listen to more of the thing that sounds really good, go listen to that album. That's why it's there. Be appreciative that a band that you could find and people have made this music and given it to you because it belongs to you now. Just be glad that's there. This is the point though, isn't it? And this is our mission statement and what we repeat and we find ourselves saying every single episode. It might not be an album you love, but go and look at the context and you might get some answers as to why you don't love it as much as you thought you should. Absolutely. Exactly. Eminem uh, says a really good quote here about Happy Bush Reviews music. He says, I've always felt in touch with the people who listen to my music. I make it for them. Anybody else, F them. It's fine if critics or whoever keep thinking I'm not as good as I was. So what I'm looking for, whatever the response or the sales, is things I did right or things I could have improved musically. I'm critical of myself and I'm always trying to figure out how to do better. I certainly have not had a perfect career. I've put out bad albums. And he says, Encore is mediocre and with relapse. You should be glad that, um, you know, they live here. So that's all I've really got to say on that. Now we're out of the subject very slightly. I did have a shout out to give, and that was to Mrs. T, my partner's mum. She listens every single week and she wanted a shout out. So here it is, Mrs. T, you're a rock and roll legend and don't stop being you. Shout out to yeah. Mrs. T. Mrs. T, don't be a silly goose. She's not a silly goose. That's 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 the podcast. I feel like that was uh, quite good, quite enjoyable. I feel like we got a lot of good things from each other yes. there. And DM us. We want to hit, we know what you think about these things. What are, do you think are some of the worst follow-up albums? And can you defend them? And do they get enough, do they get more flack than they should? Um, have you got any opinions or comments of what the albums that we've picked? And we just want to hear you. We want to hear what you think. Uh, massive thanks to Jack. Big, big thanks. Coming on. It's been, oh, it's been absolutely amazing. I've loved it. It's been great. Pleasure is Thank you for staying here for nearly, for nearly three hours here that we come and talk. Um, and 
take it away tell us about what you're doing tell us outro tell us the songs tell us what you're up to and plug yourself boy go yeah so uh well first i'm gonna plug you two um so check out at afroloon and uh, i believe it's james underscore merit underscore guitar you got it my boy Um, you got it perfect (laughs) two boys coming in the game um and i i love i can't wait for you to release your stuff and mine your new album it's killer so so yeah that's the first thing i want to say and then um Basically, yeah, I'm going to lead us out with a track that hopefully will be on this short release I make, the CP, um, of sort of post-rocky, soundtracky type songs. Um, this one's very 80s inspired, and it's called Rat Racer, so I think we're going to hear a sip of it now. And uh, yeah, if you like it, follow my Instagram, at Loops and Landscapes, and uh, yeah, hopefully you, I'll join you back on the podcast soon, and we can uh, discuss another topic. Would love that. Marvin ra- ramble on about Eminem. Would love that. Exactly, exactly. Let's what do we'll it. do is... We'll have you back on, and it will be the same subject, and then we'll do the same thing again. How we feel, plus another three more hours. Yeah, so yeah, that'd be great. Nine hours Perfect. long. Now we'll get you back on. <laughs> Nine hours long, exactly. Uh, Two thousand episode special. But um, next week is going to be with our now rescheduled guest star and newest Patreon or Patron or Patron, whatever you want to call it, Oshin, and we're going to do the subject of classic albums that for some reason you just don't like, you can't get into. Um, something's just not right there. So maybe we'll have a change of heart and we'll have a little pick. Um, yeah, we'll lead you out with uh, Jack's track. Lovely. Rat Racer, is that what it's called? Yeah, that's right. You're there. I even heard it like 15 Boom. seconds ago. Nice um, one, Marv. Have a good one. Have a good week. I'm really tired. More tired than you two. Uh, so whatever. I'm gone. Bye, Marv. Bye, Jack. Thanks. You're See lovely you and sexy and I love you. Too far.